So March has been a month of so many changes. Yeah. Like, yeah. I literally feel like our lives have done a complete 180 in the last few weeks. Oh, 100%. Because it started with me. It's the month started with me moving. And it's ending with you moving. Yeah. Seriously moving. Uh, but before we get into that, hi, this is Blood and Wine. I am Brittany. And I'm Tyler. And I have some really exciting news. The the For way me. you just phrase that, it sounds like it's so clickbaity. Like, you know those YouTube videos that start out and they're like, so I have some really big news. And then it's like a 60 minute vlog and at the end they're like, I got a cat. <laughs> but I have some really big news. It's true. You didn't um, get a cat. I did not get a cat. I already have one. I already have a cat. I did not get another one like Tyler. Wow. <laughs> But, um, so we haven't talked about it just because it's one of those things that jobs, life, blah, blah, blah. But, um, I've been trying to move to Dallas for the last few months Mm -hmm. and it is finally happening. It is. Um, I am really, really looking forward to it. Everything seems to just be falling into place perfectly. Um, and so I will be starting April in a new city. Which is... I'm so excited because you mentioned Dallas, what, two months after I moved here? I think we were drinking wine on your patio and you were like, so what if I moved? I'm thinking north. And I jokingly yeah. said, well, haha, as long as you're not going as far as Dallas, that's fine. And you were like, um. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> actually, though, I. I am. That is what I'm trying to do. But but so it took a lot of hard work and planning and replanning and just, I'm just really excited. And guys, don't even worry about it. There's not going to be any skips in episodes. Oh, yes. As We've planned this out we so well. So that, because whenever I mentioned it uh, to a couple of my friends who was like, oh, is the podcast going to end no. 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 Podcast no. is not going to end. We can record in separate places. We haven't figured out. No prob at all. So y'all have nothing to worry about, but um, it's just going to be really interesting. You know, I'll be coming to you guys from another city. There's going to be different stories and it's just a really exciting time. And um, Ty's been such a huge, huge support in all of this. And so <laughs> tomorrow morning, um, and, and note, it is Friday at like 9.30 at night. We're getting up tomorrow at like 5.30 in the morning to drive to Dallas Yay. so I can find an apartment. Um, and Which, because everyone also seems to instantly ask the next question, is your brother moving with you? No, we, we don't live together. No. We, we... I have a job here, so <laughs> I'm, I'm staying. Yeah. I am helping you look at places and move and all that, but... Nope, I'm staying in Austin for the time being. Yeah, which is cool. And I love that you're still going to be here because I'm obviously coming to visit because it's yeah. Austin. And I do still love this city, but it's just time for a change. Yeah. Um, but it's thankfully only three hours. Tomorrow's going to feel like a lot because it's there and back in a day. But hey, True. I've done it before. It's possible. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm really excited for I'm everything excited for you. that Dallas is going to bring and just... Um, I don't know. Shit, who knows? I'm probably going to get a whole lot more crime story ideas and whatnot living in a city. I mean... uh, As big as Dallas. Fair. (laughs) So, I say this. I mean, I've lived in larger cities like New York, but... But you weren't doing a crime podcast while living in New York. I wasn't. And man, if I had been... 
Yeah. The things I would have had to talk about in uh, just like random chit chat conversations and random shit I would see during the day. Like, oh yeah. So today I saw someone take a giant shit on the subway. That never happened, but oh, it's happened I to someone. Like, um, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, no, no. You see some weird shit, though. You just kind of yeah. get used to it. It's New York. Yeah. But anyway, so really fun things coming up. Yes. And, and it's not going to change anything for you guys. Like, just we really yeah. want to make sure you y'all have no fears, no worries. Podcast will, like, literally go on forever. It will. So, to make sure it does go on forever, why don't you <laughs> check out our Patreon page? Yes. Um, and you can look at all the cool stuff that we do. And Mad- I said that and, and I don't... Mad- <laughs> Mad- I don't actually think you can see anything if you're not a Patreon supporter. But no, I don't think we you have, can. But we have... Our Murder Mini episodes, we have a bunch of different tiers of support. So if you are interested in supporting us, then uh, check out our Patreon and look at becoming a Patreon supporter. Yeah. How many times can I use the word support in Support, supporters, supporting, supporting us, support us. Um, Also, don't forget to subscribe. You'll get those new episodes every Tuesday when they come out. So subscribe. But yeah, um... Tomorrow, I think, is going to be really interesting. I just can't get it out of my head because it's literally only a few hours away, you know? Yeah. No. I mean, we're leaving in, what, eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, Tyler's crying. Yeah. Yeah, he's crying. Um, I like my sleep, y'all. You do. I'm a grumpy bitch if I do not have at least six hours. Yeah, you really are. I've seen you after, like, three and no one needs to see that. No one needs to see that. Well, you did have some current news that um, at time of recording, it's super current. At time of airing, um, it's going to be a little less, but I guarantee he's still in the headlines. Yeah. So a few, well, last year sometime it was announced that um, Adnan Syed, who is most famous for being the subject of season one of Serial, which is... Yeah. One of, if not the biggest true crime podcast out there. Yeah, it kind um, of opened up this genre in a way and had it really gained popularity. Yeah. I mean, Serial was the first true crime podcast that I ever listened to. See, I didn't, but I knew of it. Yeah, everyone um, knew of it. I mean, there were SNL skits of it. Yeah. Which are very good if you haven't seen them YouTube that shit. It's true. But um, last year it was announced that he would be receiving a new trial based on public outcry, based on, I believe, just looking into the evidence. Yeah, but, I think a lot of it was the cell phone tower evidence. Yeah, but... That it, the, there was a... Sorry, I'm going to cover this really fast because yeah. I know what this piece was. A big piece was that the cell phone data cover sheet that was faxed over that said... You know, the data in here cannot be used for location services of where the call originated was left out. And therefore, for his entire case, a lot of the big evidence against him was cell phone pings that had him in the areas of um, the crime happening that night. And with that cover photo in there, it makes pretty much all of that null and void for the most part. Like, it can't be relied upon. Yeah. Um, And so they were using that plus a lot of other bits of evidence to get him a new trial. Yeah. 
So very- and this is also sorry. One more thing, I was just gonna say this is also coming um, right as the HBO documentary is coming out. Oh, um, so it. I didn't know there was an HBO documentary. Yeah, HBO did a documentary that came out on March 10th, mm-hmm. and um, it just it's interesting that this ties in. You know, yeah, kind of to that. And I haven't finished the documentary, so I don't know exactly how much they show and how much they go into, but. Fair, but on March 8th of this year, so very recently. The... As in, this part's not going to be in the documentary. You yeah. just answered my question. True. The Maryland Court of Appeals ruled that Anand Syed's murder conviction uh, will not get a new trial. Uh, because again, last year, the Special Court of Appeals ordered a new trial for him, but yeah. the Court of Appeals has overruled that and said that he will not be receiving a new trial. That's crazy. And, like, there's just been so, so, so much back and forth in all of this. And I don't know. I oh, I can't believe he's not getting a new trial. I thought it was basically set in stone. Well, it's because the argument was that he received inefficient counsel. Oh, yeah. From um, Christina um, Gutierrez. Yeah. Um, and the ruling was that his legal counsel was deficient but not so much that it prejudiced the case. Right. So it was shitty, but not too shitty. Shitty, but not too shitty. That sucks. And it's going to be interesting to see what comes about in the next few days. Uh, Because like I said, this hearing was, or this case is just, it's huge. It's huge. Oh, yeah. Well, on on that note, uh, do you want to introduce our topic? Yeah. So the topic for this episode is restaurant murders. And I thought this one would be really interesting because like I think most people out there, not you, but um, <laughs> I worked, I was a server at a restaurant for Hey, I was years. a hostess. I mean... I know it wasn't a server and it's not the same. I'm just saying, I also worked in a restaurant. That, and I worked in fast food. That's true. Shit. That's true. I did not. And... Um, Man, that absolutely sucked but the idea so i guess okay fair food service like literally i went home smelling like grease onions and ice cream every day and i generally had lots of those food parts on me it's okay i'm pretty sure i smelled like mexican food and then sushi and then italian food for a solid like four years of my life (laughs) always Mm, yeah. But man, when they're throwing out that lasagna, because it's like they made it the day before, and ooh, you get a piece, take home, mm, free dinner. It was basically what made the job worth it. Mm-hmm. No. No. Uh, but anyway, so I spent a lot of time in restaurants, especially in college. And yeah. it's, they're very, it's a, such a weird atmosphere to describe it to someone who's never worked in that kind of environment. Because all of you, for the most part, at least the restaurants I worked at, it was a bunch of young people. Oh, yeah. Late teens, early 20s, who their only commonality was they worked here. And day one, you instantly become best friends with some people. Because you're experiencing that shit together. Yeah. And then you just, it's like going through hell. For Obviously, I, I didn't like my time. In restaurants. I know there are some people that really do like oh, some people being love a it. server. And that's that's awesome. Someone I didn't to. like it. 
Um, because I also had to do things like, oh, well, a tornado just hit the city, but it's over right now, and we have, like, 20 minutes till the next one hits, so we need you to, like, sweep the floors. Oh, my God. Yeah. and Sweep the floors and don't get swept away. <laughs> God. But um, telling this right after the more tornado hit, like, literally the week after. It, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, it's a job. I have never been as stressed at work, even now, that I have, like, I don't know, corporate jobs and shit. I've never been as stressed as I was waiting tables. That's because... stressful. I mean, I like I said, I never did it, but it's because I never wanted to. It just... I couldn't imagine that level of stress. Well, and, and there would be times when, like, oh, we know this is a 40 top, and we're supposed to have, like, three people on it, but you can take it yourself, right? Even though you have other tables. And you're like, oh, my God. By the time I am done making their salads, they're already going to be angry because I have to make 40 salads by hand oh and God. get them drinks. At the same time, I am one person. And a lot of times you would have customers, granted, not to speak ill of all customers. Obviously, I'm a restaurant customer currently, and I think right. I'm decent uh, sometimes. But so there were there were customers that I was like, oh, God, you saved my life today uh, by just being there. And then there were others that would like, Hi, just you be ruined the worst my life people. by being here. Not you like, know, you ruined my day. They would order things like the chicken parmesan and yell at you that it's not vegan. And you're like, you ordered the chicken parm. And they're like, well, I meant the eggplant one. And I'm like, you didn't tell me you were vegan <laughs> or that you wanted eggplant and then not tip me. And it's like, Ugh. you said which, chicken. Which one thing I do want to say, for those of y'all that don't know, if you don't tip your server, they pay for your fee- food. Because at every restaurant, you have to tip out. And at most places, it's based on percentage sales. So let's say... Your tip out, typical restaurant is anywhere from 3 to 5% of your sales. Yeah. So if you have a table, sits down, has dinner, it's $100 even, and they just walk, they don't, or I guess they pay, but they just don't tip you, you're probably paying 3 to $5 out of your pocket for their food because whether they tipped you or not, you still have to tip out the bussers or the hostesses or bartenders and, oh my god, I never yeah. knew that. Yeah, instantly, if you're getting 15% tips on average, uh, a third or so of your tips go to someone else. To tip out, yeah. And so when you have a table walk on you, it's like, thanks. Not only did I not get paid for working this hour-long meal yeah. and giving you food, I have to pay for you assholes to come in and eat here and be dicks and leave. I had to pay out of my pocket for that. So even if even if your waiter is an absolute shit show, tip something. Leave them something. Like, dear God. I Because I always lived by the 15 to 18% is the minimum. Yeah. Like if I walked away with food and the waiter didn't like stab me in the face with a knife <laughs> they're probably getting 15 to 18 percent i know i mean it... i know i i've had really bad service and i leave 15 percent. yeah like that's just because i tip yeah so 
Um, but, but anyways, yeah. yeah. So restaurant murders. So first off, a uh, super stressful environment. So I don't know what direction you took, but you could take it as a waiter fucking snapping, which, you know, don't advise it, but I get it. Well, there are just so many different ways. And then like... One that I wanted to do, but I couldn't find enough information because it's all, like, old articles, was the um, Pizza Hut murders in Amarillo. I think it was yeah. in, like, the 80s or something. But, I don't know. People were killed at the Pizza Hut. I think there's a rumor that someone was put in the dough maker or something. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, or Gross. meat grinder. Or, you know, one of those really gruesome, horrible yeah. ways to be killed. Um, But... Yeah, we just heard about that one a lot growing up, and when I was in my 20s, we were at this bar in Amarillo, and that's when our cousin turned to me, and she's like, did you know this used to be a Pizza Hut, and that's where that murder happened? And I was like, oh, I did not. Oh. I did not. You know, just casual. Yeah, just casual. But, yeah, so restaurant murders, don't murder people, don't murder people in restaurants, and also tip your servers. Tip them, or they'll murder you. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't confirm that, but, you it know. It could happen. They will hate you. They will. Before we get into the murders that we picked, I'm going to talk about the wine yes. that I picked. Yes. So, last week I did a white. This week, I'm back to my traditional roots with the the red. <laughs> traditional roots. Okay. You know, my wine roots. My grape roots. The roots Your of... Vines. My vines, yes. Oh, okay. Now, I, I, I see where you were trying to go there, and it I will give failed. it a four for effort. Is it four June bugs that I have to fish out of my glass? <laughs> yes. Okay. But we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what kind of arbitrary rating system I come up with for today's wine. Okay. Okay. So, the wine I picked is the 2017 Capital Z Zinfandel, Ooh. and literally with that name alone, I just... I'm feeling a lot of things and like this is going to be real good um it's from lodi california always good wine from lodi always always and that's where um michael david is that we talk about all the time because we're obsessed we're just, he hangs out <laughs> yes michael david winery um and we i actually had a bottle of their seven deadly like earlier this week Oh. It was so good. So the Lodi area is known as the Zinfandel capital of California and arguably the world. So oh. I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, the grapes were sourced from a top Lodi grower. And this 2017 vintage has layers of velvety, mouth-filling red and black fruit flavors plus subtle sweet spice notes. Ooh. So it sounds phenomenal. Because that's... To me, like, the calling card of a Zen is that it's, like, peppery. That it has that, like, spice note. Yeah, yeah, it has some type of spice. In the same way that, like, Umberlow is very fruit-forward and very velvety. I always think of a Zen as, like, the first is always that, like, pepper kick. Yes, yes. So, I'm excited. Me too. And so, um, the Zinfandel grape is California's second most planted grape, um, second to... After Cab? Yep, exactly. Cab. Like, obviously. Yeah. Think about it. Cab, California. Cab's probably one of, if not the most popular wines in the world. It is. However, apparently, Zinfandel is regarded as California's signature red. Really? Which I really would have guessed it's Cab, but, um... It's, huh. it's not. So the Lodi region is the home of the Zen, and they have an annual festival celebrating all things Zinfandel. 
which is really cool and I would love to go to it. Yes. Um, so this wine is really good. It's a big, rich red that is great with barbecue and stews, you know, really hearty meals, hearty meats. Mm-hmm. And the aroma, uh, as soon as we open it, we're going to smell a medley of rich red and black fruit, plus subtle sweet spice notes, like I just mm-hmm. said earlier. And then for the taste, it's um, going to be more of that like velvet and spice with smooth tannins and a long, satisfying finish. Okay. So with that, I am opening up this bad boy. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. In here. But anyway, hopefully you enjoyed that singing. Um I know. We sh- I know what you're thinking. I have no idea what, what that's going to sound like on this mic, it's by gonna the way. It's going to sound beautiful because I know all of our listeners are saying, why did they start a podcast and not a band? I wonder the same thing. Well, we didn't want to be like Too the famous. Partridge Family or the Brady Bunch or... Did they start a band? No, I think just the Partridge Family. Oh, okay. So, um, but this wine we're going to be drinking out of my really super classy dollar ikea wine glasses which are actually really nice uh my my ikea wine glasses are my favorite glasses in the world they're my big ass olivia pope wine glasses oh yeah that's right i always forget those are ikea as well ikea has great wine glasses if y'all looking for if y'all looking for drinkware of various sizes y'all check out ikea because i also got my martini glasses there and they also have great margarita glasses ikea sponsor us Ikea, literally, thank you for all of the furniture that I've ever had. Just kidding. Basically. I don't really have much Ikea in my oh. apartment anymore, but I used to. I do, and I love Ikea furniture. Oh, I, I do. Think it's, it's so modern AM. and clean. And All right. Cheers. cheers. God, I love Zen. Mm-hmm. This is so good. I'm definitely getting that velvety. It's, it's nice. Definitely it's a smooth that- one. It's smooth. Definitely has that pepper. I see what yeah, they mean I by the long the finish because I've swallowed and it's still. I like, still taste it. Mm-hmm. It's still there, which I really like long finishes. I hate when you drink a wine, especially a red, and you swallow it and it's gone. Yeah, which and you're like, literally, oh, as I, I said that. that out loud, that sounds really stupid because you swallowed it. Whatever, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, like the, the, the flavors, taste is gone. Yeah. Everything's gone from your mouth. But um, I'm giving this one a solid four and a half. Um, grapes in California. That was weak. Um, I'm going to do better. Okay, go. Um, I will actually give this one... I'm going to give it four shishito peppers out of five. All right. I will give it four and a half um, corks, meaning one of them broke. Oh, well, it happens when you have a Ikea wine opener. I have an Ikea wine opener. Yes. And I have the cheap one. Cheapest. No, not the cheapest. The middle. The cheapest one's a wine key. I know. This is the one step up of that, but it's a step below yours. True. Okay. I have my wine. I'm happy. I'm, I'm a bug in a rug right now. So tell me about your case that's going to make me not want to stop at a restaurant tomorrow, even though we're totally going to have lunch in Dallas. Absolutely. So I did the KFC murders in Kilgore, Texas. Oh. I feel like... Is it the podcast All Crime No Cattle? Did they do this one? Yes, they did. Okay. I haven't listened to that episode, but I listened to, I think, a minute or so yep. of it. They they did it. Um, so the sources I used for this one, Wikipedia, KLTV News, 
the Texas District and County Attorneys Association, or wow. TDCAA. Easy acronym to remember. TDCAA. It's, no, yeah, it's to really the car. It's difficult. Um, East Texas Matters and the Houston Chronicle. East Texas does matter. It does matter. So Kilgore is um, a small town east of Tyler, Texas, which is Me. kind of in the heart of East Texas. Deep in the heart like, of Texas. Deep in the heart of East Texas, which is forests and like literally yeah. the exact opposite of West Texas, which is the fucking desert. I know. If y'all think you know Texas, like climate regions and stuff, because I feel like when you think Texas, you think farms and dry pseudo desert yeah and there's a lot of that there is but it goes from like actual desert desert out near el paso to farms and highland plains to fucking like mountains kind of to like forests and like swamps and then houston which is a swamp city yeah sorry to all our listeners in houston it's a swamp city it's it's so humid there i don't know where the water ends and the atmosphere begins because it's so humid. it's all wet you basically swim walk yeah um speaking of swim walking texas also has beaches so i mean that's another they're not no you go down to like padre and stuff and you can get some nicer beaches oh yeah Galveston is not a great beach. Like it's yeah, you know, but it's, it's next one to like the there. refineries and the shipping. So yeah. regardless of how pretty the beach was, when you have stuff, industry and stuff like that, it's not going to be that uh, great. But Galveston as a city is gorgeous. Well, and Corpus Christi has really nice beaches. Corpus Christi is like the pearl of the Gulf, or some nickname like that. Oh, is that really what it, it is? Something like that. But anyway, so yes, as Tyler's saying, if you think you know Texas and you're not in Texas, you probably don't really know Texas because there's so much. The state is fucking huge. I know. You drive for 3,000 hours and you're like, oh, we're still in Texas. Yeah. Um. So let me get into this one that, you know, these the KFC murders in Kilgore um, happened back in 1983, and they're one of the most infamous crimes to ever happen in East Texas. Oh. It's something that is very well known, very heard of, especially in East Texas. So, newlyweds David and Lana Maxwell took their last motorcycle ride together on a crisp fall autumn evening in 1983. And they were doing this late at night when most everyone was already in bed and just like, you know, empty streets. Yeah. So their hectic new life had them sharing a bike with another friend, Joey Johnson. Oh, um, be- sure. <laughs> basically. Well, because a few days earlier, Maxwell lost his keys, like house keys, car keys, and the ones to his own motorcycle um, just a few days prior. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. So this was just one of those make-do arrangements until they could figure out how to fix this situation. Yeah. Um, until the keys were found, both Maxwell and Johnson, who were both 20 years old, God. took turns on the bike. They ferried each other around to classes at Kilgore College and to the KFC restaurant on US 259, where they both worked. Okay. So they're friends, they're co-workers, they're sharing, like, yeah, sure. Earlier that afternoon, Maxwell had run Johnson up to the KFC, and then he ran home, uh, well, drove home. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> he drove home for dinner with his pregnant wife, his 18-year-old newlywed bride, Lana, which I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. 
At about 10 p.m., Maxwell and Lana got on the back of the motorcycle to pick up Johnson from work and take him home. There could be all three of them on the bike? Well, that's exactly what happened. So about a mile down the road, Maxwell was like, what am I thinking? Like, I can't fit three people on this motorcycle. Yeah. So he turns around and he takes Lana home and then he heads back up to US 259 to the KFC. From there, he and Johnson and three others, Opie Ann Hughes, who's 39, Montgomery Monty Landers, who's 19, and Mary Tyler, who's 37, would vanish from Kilgore forever. Oh, shit. So Lana's just like, say, like, she luckily he turned back and dropped her off, I guess. I guess it depends on what you how you're defining the word lucky. Alive? Alive, yeah. Yeah. So on the evening of September 23rd, 1983, just before closing time, armed robbers held up the KFC restaurant. The five people in the restaurant at the time who were either employees or people who were just waiting um, for someone to get off work there were abducted, taken to a nearby field 14 miles from the KFC on Country Road 232, and each was executed with a shot to the back of the head at least twice. fuck? How is that an armed robbery? That's armed just execution. Robbery, kidnapping, and murder. Yeah. So, Billy Tyler, who was Mary's husband, Mary was one of the victims, mm-hmm. and his stepdaughter, Kim, started to wonder where Mary was. At about 10.30 that night, Billy called KFC and no one answered. Then at about a quarter till 11, she still wasn't home, and so he just has this really bad feeling. Yeah. So Billy and Kim went to the KFC and they found it just like a mess. Like everything was in a disarray. Kim opens up the register and she noticed all the money was gone. There was no movement anywhere in the restaurant. There was trash next to the back door and the back door was still open, which is extremely unusual. Yeah. The next morning, an oil field worker discovered the bodies oh, God. in his field. And one of the victims, Opie, was found a short distance from the others. So four of them were together, and Opie was a little ways away. Can you just imagine being that oil-filled worker? Like, you're just going to work, doing your thing, and you stumble upon, at first, four, and then five bodies. People are just shot in this field. Shot in the back of the head, execution style. Like, no, I could never imagine something like that. And we've talked about it. The idea of finding a single body is horrible and horrifying. That's why we don't jog. I know. Seriously, joggers find bodies. Don't do it. Or apparently be an oil-filled worker. Because I also feel like they probably also run into a lot of bodies. Yeah. Because you, like, ditch them in the middle of nowhere. It's not really the middle of nowhere because it's where someone works. But for the most of us, I don't hang out in oil fields. I don't know if you do. No, I no? the commercials we saw growing up in Oklahoma that were like, "Do you not think play that in this oil fields." Is a jungle gym. You will die. You will have your arms cut off and then die <laughs> by the machinery. And it's like, oh my god! Everyone at your school will know you were that oil field kid who died with no arms from the machinery. Don't play in oil fields. And you're like, oh my god, I'm seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they were pretty uh, terrifying. We also had one in our neighborhood, literally. So, which is the most Oklahoma thing ever. Oh yeah, no, it's such an Oklahoma thing. Which is because also we were in a suburb. Well, it was like, one of like those grasshopper farm. things, right? Yeah, yeah. Which 
I don't know why I love that they're called grasshoppers because it's what they fucking Didn't look like. I didn't know what th- they were called that, but I knew what you were talking about. Yeah, so. because it looks like a grasshopper. It it's does. the one that goes up and down and pumps the oil out of the ground. Yeah, and if you play on it, you'll lose your arms and kids will make fun of you at your funeral. <laughs> because you have <laughs> no arms. That's what the commercials say. Basically, yeah. That, that is the line, we'll make fun of you at your funeral. Yes. So lots of giggling, no tears, because mm-hmm. you were dumb. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. It, it is. Um. So the police were called, and everything started to come together, and they went back to the KFC to see what type of evidence they could find. You know, the original crime scene. Yeah. So Kilgore detective Danny Pirtle was the first one on the scene. Three weeks later after the murder, he ended up being named lead detective. He went through the restaurant and he starts making note of everything he saw and gathered some evidence, including two employees' hats and a note uh, to one of the male victims from a girlfriend. Just that, I guess, fell out of his pocket or something. Like It just somehow was on the scene. A box and a napkin were also collected as evidence, but Pirtle didn't see this. Uh, It must have been collected by one of his other teammates. Um, And that will... That will come back later because these two pieces of evidence ended up being very key. Which is crazy because a napkin at a restaurant. And a box. A napkin and like... I'm assuming like a chicken finger box. Yeah. Yeah. Like some type of food box that happens to be Which I'm like, yeah, you're at a KFC. Of course those are going to be there. Why why is that even evidence? But the fact that it... Stuff like that that can seem so just commonplace can be key evidence. Is insane. Yeah. Well, there was blood on both of these. Well, yeah, but so still. no, I'm saying like that's why they were evidence. Yeah. Why. Oh, I get what you're saying. Just the fact that it's such a simple object was yeah. then entered in because of, got it. I'm following. Okay. For a second, I was like, no, it was evidence because there was blood. I just didn't get to say it yet, and then I it like all clicked, and so <laughs> okay. whatever. No, it's I'm rambling because it's a napkin. In it's a evidence because it's a napkin in the restaurant. Every napkin in a restaurant is evidence if a murder happens there or with people who used to be in there honestly one of my worst nightmares is to bring a black light to a restaurant that uses cloth napkins and just look at it ew uh, no i've never thought about that and i really wish you never told me sorry so bring your own napkin so a f- formal autopsy reports have been closed to the public for years so oh. I don't have a lot of detailed information um, on the victims other than that they were shot execution style. Yeah. But what the police determined is about an hour after Maxwell dropped off Lana and he turned back around to go to the store, he and four others were believed to have been confronted by two gun-toting intruders who came through the back door. Some type of confrontation ensued. And a trail of Tyler's blood could be found in the manager's back office by the serving counter. Mm -hmm. And investigators would later theorize that she had been hit in the mouth or possibly the nose. And then somehow the two intruders forced the victims into a vehicle and then drove them to Russ County to the oil field. That had to be a big vehicle. Where they were lined up and shot. Because there's at least, now, there's five victims, two kidnappers, so seven, I mean, so a van. It had to be some type of van, which, think about it, it's like a, a killer van. Like a, mean, a big yeah. white van. Yeah, They I'm would just sure. throw them in there. Yeah. And it, it appeared that Hughes had attempted to flee, which is why her body was further away, oh. but was unsuccessful. So for 22 years, this case remained unsolved. Oh, Several people were arrested, and one person, James Earl Mankins Jr., 
who was a man who had prior drug convictions and was also the son of a state representative, was charged with the murders. But he was later released at the beginning of pretrial proceedings due to a lack of evidence. As it turned out, there was no physical evidence linking him to the crime scene. Um, They had found a fingernail clipping on Joey Johnson's body and linked it to Mankin. But as it turns out, the DNA didn't match. It wasn't his fingernail. So there was nothing on him. Okay. Because I was going to ask him, like, what strings did his daddy pull? No. But no. No. He just wasn't involved. Oh. He wasn't involved. And I don't really know how he was original a suspect. I mean, probably due to a lot of his prior convictions, maybe he was in the area. Yeah. Um, however, finally, in November 2005... Wow. Two men who were already in prison on other crimes were arrested and charged. Cousins... Darnell Hartsfield, who was 44, and Romeo Pinkerton, who was 47. So, if we go back all the way to the first week when police were developing their suspects in the KFC murders, Mm -hmm. Hartsfield and Pinkerton were two of the suspects. You can only, you can just imagine the like, oh, fuck moment when they realized later that it was them. But, you know... Originally, back in 83, a flyer circulated was circulated by the Texas Rangers looking for Pinkerton and Hatsfield and another man named Elton Winston for questioning in the KFC case. Yeah. However, once this guy, Mankins, was thought to be a suspect, all the other suspects were pretty much discarded. Like, oh, the police got the tunnel God. vision. And so the oh shit moment is when they realize, like, Wow. We had them. They on were the list. freaking suspects at the very beginning and we if, didn't follow if we through. hadn't tunnel visioned, we could have gotten them twenty yeah. years earlier. Yeah. So at the time of arrest, Hatsfield was serving a life sentence for aggravated perjury in connection with the case. Aggravated perjury, so he lied on the stand or something and got a life sentence? A pretty intense sentence for I have to, uh, it has to be something more than, like, just lying on the stand or something. Yeah, I'll get into it a little bit later. Okay. So the box and the napkin that were found at the crime scene yes. were determined to contain blood belonging to Pinkerton on the napkin and Hartsfield on the box. DNA testing put both of them at the restaurant. Okay. So they were both charged with capital murder and could have received the death penalty if convicted. Well, we know how much Texas likes to give out the death penalty, so. It is true. So, the trial, they each had separate trials. Pinkerton's jury selection started in August of 2007 in New Boston, which is um, a a town in Texas. It's not Old Boston. It's not Old Boston. It's New Boston in Texas, because Old Boston is on the East Coast. It's Boston. Yes. Um, (laughs) um, And it was completed in September. Pinkerton's death penalty trial was scheduled to start at 9 a.m. on October 15, 2007 at the Bowie County Courthouse there in New Boston. During opening arguments, the prosecution told the jury that one victim, Opie Hughes, who was found, you know, a short distance away from the other victims, had been sexually assaulted. This fact had never been divulged. It had never been out in the open. You know, so this is 25 years later. Yeah. And that's when this comes out. Um, this, This statement, when it was said, it brought tears to family members gathered in the courtroom you know, they're embracing, they're comforting one yeah, another. they didn't know. Yeah. No. They'd been waiting already for 24 years for someone to be held responsible. And then they find out 
that there was um, rape involved. Yeah. So Lisa Tanner, who's the Texas Attorney General Prosecutor um, and Deputized Prosecutor for Russ County, told the jurors in her opening remarks remarks that it took fresh eyes on the case beginning in 03 um, to see that there was something wrong with the crime scene. So it was always assumed that Opie tried to run. Um, but you know, when the investigators started investigating and doing more testing, um, they found there were large semen stains on the crotch of her uniform pants. But those semen stains have yet to have any match made. So it's a there's a third perpetrator, a third killer. Yeah, and to this day, there has been no match made to this DNA. Shit. But we know there was a third person involved because it's someone else's DNA. Yeah. So the evidence was guarded really close to see if anyone knew there was a third person. Yeah. Um, you know, they held this close to the chest. And the evidence had been there the whole time. Science just had to catch up so they could test it. Yeah. So the defense team attacked the prosecution's case by planting a seed of doubt. The defense said that the case and evidence had been mishandled from start and that it may have been altered cross-contamination or something yeah they said you know this evidence was from 1983 and it was picked up by people with no knowledge of dna so this is prior to dna being a thing they also told the jury that dna specialists had overturned their earlier findings about pinkerton and hartsfeld's dna on the napkin in the box oh um and said that there was a chance of contamination by other victims and that the findings may have been mishandled by whoever was running the test. Yeah. The semen stains on Hughes and the blood stains on Monty Landers exclude Pinkerton and Hartsville. So I guess there's also some blood that was found on Monty that's this third perpetrator. Yeah. Also, Detective Pirtle was not the only law enforcement officer to say he didn't see the napkin or the box get picked up. Former Kilgore officer Wayne Reynolds said he was dispatched to the restaurant after family members called police stating the employees were missing. So, like, right after Billy made the calls and whatnot. And Reynolds testified that he entered the building and took note of some blood in several areas. But he stated that he never wrote anything in his notes about a bloody napkin or a bloody box. He didn't see them. Midway through the trial, Pinkerton pled guilty to five lesser counts of first-degree murder on October 29th, 07, mm-hmm. and received five concurrent life sentences as a part of his plea deal. Well, I mean, he was the one who was already facing life in prison, right? No, Hartsfield is, with the aggravated oh, perjury. Oh, okay, okay, Not okay. Pinkerton. So, gives Pinkerton even more reason to take this plea deal. Yeah. So, Hartsfield's trial was going on around the same time. Yeah. And during his trial, his lawyer, of course, understood that these families need closure, but just because they deserve closure, it was not a reason to ignore the lack of evidence against Hartsfield in this case. Nothing in the evidence put Hartsfield in the store, robbing and kidnapping people, and then taking them to Russ County to kill him. His DNA was nowhere because of the overturned yeah. um, okay, okay. napkin oh, box thing. Oh, yeah. Defense attorneys argued for about an hour um, when the jury was not there mm-hmm. about whether prosecutors could allow a former Tyler convenience store clerk to testify how she was robbed three days after the KFC slaying in which Hartfield had pleaded guilty. So that's what he was in jail for. Oh, so they're okay. seeing if her confession would be allowed. Prosecutors were arguing that the two robberies were noticeably similar. Um, the woman described the robbery, you know, 25 years ago. Um, and she said she identified Hartsfield as the gunman. 
and one of the two men who threatened to kill her and a co-worker as they were ordered to lay face down on the floor. The KFC victims were found face down on the oil-filled road. Okay. Which, to me, that doesn't seem like a close enough connection no. in the position of their bodies. Because I would almost think, yeah, of course the killer's going to say, put your face to the ground so they don't have to look at them. Well, that and it to me, that's just not similar enough. Because they're... I feel like had the five victims at KFC been forced to lie down on the ground at KFC, maybe that could be something, but there would be evidence there. And they, but yeah, but it's like they were kidnapped and taken somewhere else yeah. and then shot and execution it, style. Like, I know. And at this convenience store clerk, if they, she had been taken somewhere or so, I, I don't, just don't see the I don't agree that they're similar. No. So defense lawyers called only four witnesses to the stand and read a grand jury testimony of the now deceased Texas Ranger, who was an original investigator of the murders back in the 80s. Yeah. Um, through that testimony, they attempted to show how two Texas Rangers described different places where a box with blood spots was found, which is one of the key pieces yeah. of evidence. Again, we've mentioned this blood box is key because that's where Hartsfeld DNA was found, and that's why he was indicted. Yeah. Although... He has repeatedly denied being in the restaurant and the fact that that DNA was later taken away. Yeah. Defense attorneys, however, in his trial never challenged whether the blood was Hartsfeld's, but suggested it may have been mixed up with Hartsfeld other crimes that he had done. Yeah. And that that's how the cross-contamination happened and maybe why the test originally was like, yes, it's his DNA, and then they withdrew that yeah the prosecution stated that planting was a ridiculous theory because authorities didn't even have hartsfeld's blood at the time the two pieces were entered into evidence so they're looking at that time so basically it's just a a back and forth with this napkin yeah this box and whether the dna on it is accurate if it's cross-contamination if it's enough to actually be counted you know pinkerton he he pled he was just like done with this trial um but hartsfeld just kept fighting yeah however nevertheless hartsfeld was convicted at trial in bryan texas again he wasn't in east texas because of all the pre-trial publicity yeah we've talked about this where you move it away from that city uh, he was sentenced to five consecutive life sentences after prosecutors chose not to seek the death penalty. So, no yeah. death penalty for him, but five life sentences. Which is the death. same as yeah. Pinkerton. You'll die in prison. On February 4th, 2010, the Texas Sixth Court of Appeals upheld the convictions of Darnell Hatsfield, and it ruled that there was sufficient evidence for this conviction. Huh. That's interesting because I'm, I'm not seeing it. In either case, because their big thing is the DNA, but if DNA specialists are saying, mm, it's not necessarily theirs, uh, you know. I know. So, okay. I know. Well, and again, with this DNA evidence that was found on Opie's pants, where they are very confident that there's a third perpetrator, um, neither Hartsfeld or Pinkerton ever revealed the identity of any accomplice that may have been with them. Huh. Um, as of 2015, the Rangers are still investigating this case and they're searching for this third person. Yeah. And as of February 15th, 2019, so just wow. about a month ago, yeah. um, Pinkerton is now eligible for parole. The family and friends of the five victims are obviously pushing for him to stay behind bars. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the things, like, everyone knew this day would come 
When they were convicted, Texas didn't have life without parole. They did introduce it later in 2007. And the law has always been in Texas that the parole law that was in effect at the time of the crime is the law that governs. Yeah. So even though now you can get life without parole in Texas. Yeah. Which is probably, I mean, that of the death sentence seems to be what you get for everything here in Texas. Yeah. Um, He is eligible for parole. He was last denied parole in June 2014. Um, Reasons were including his criminal history and the nature of this crime. Yeah. Especially with... How huge it is. Well, and he'd only been in prison for seven years at that point. Right. Um, His next possibility, or sorry, his possibility for parole will be decided in June. So this summer. Okay. But that is the um, really crazy, twisty, turny KFC murders. Okay. I feel like there is so much that I left out, but y'all, this case got fucking confusing. Yeah. There's so much back and forth, and it's like napkin, box, blood, DNA, not DNA, not DNA, DNA, not DNA. Yeah. Third person. Maybe. I know. It's just, it's it's so tragic that there are so many questions still revolving around this. And that even though there are two people in prison, I'm not convinced that they're necessarily the right people. I'm or not if this either. is any closer to being solved than it was. It's like, yeah, the family may have closure, but we talked about this actually all the time. It's like, well, does it count if it's not the right person? Yeah. Um. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this summer and see if Pinkerton got, does get parole or not. Part of me feels like it'll be denied again because it's only been an additional yeah. five years. Well, it's one of those that I could see it. Than being like, well, he's eligible for parole because that was what the law was at the time, but that doesn't mean we'll ever give it to him. I don't, I don't know how the parole board decides, or even if they need to have sufficient reasoning other than the severity of the crime. Boom, denied. Right. Ever. Well, and that's similar to Bruce MacArthur, who is life with possibility of parole there in Canada for the um, dismemberment and the potted plants. Yeah. And the judge was saying like. Oh, I mean, he's going to die in prison. Yeah. Like, even when he comes up from parole, he's not getting it. Yeah. Which, when a judge says that, I'm like, then why didn't you just give him life without parole? Yeah. Although it's Canada. Maybe they don't do that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't don't know know. the Canadian legal system. Neither do I. But um, that was my crazy restaurant case. Now I'm really interested to hear what one you picked and how you, like, what, what angle you took with this. Okay. So, my case is the Sirloin Stockade Murders. You have... This is Oklahoma City, isn't it? Yes. You mentioned this to me. I have no idea what it is, but I know you've been wanting to do it for a yeah. long time. Well, this is a case I found, I mean, 15, 20 episodes ago. I thought you were about to say 15, 20 years ago, and I'm like, why were you looking at cases when you were five? You know, because sometimes murder... I don't know. I No, 15, 20 cases ago. Yep. The sources I used were the Odyssey Online... The Oklahoman, KFOR, the Purcell Register, and Wikipedia. Good old Wikipedia. We've gone back to using her. I know. And I have to seriously, seriously call out this article uh, from the Odyssey Online. It was written by an OU student, and it's Stafford Killings of 1978, Part 3, Nightmare at the Sirloin Stockade. It's Part 3 of 4 that uh, cover this guy. Oh my god. It's insane. So it's like, 
I love that long, super lengthy, detailed title. Uh, same. Just have to say. Um, and yeah, there's four parts to it. So if y'all want to dive deeper into this, and I highly suggest you do, it's a great read and written by a fellow uh, Sooner. Love finding fellow Sooners. So on the evening of July 16th, 1978, Carlos Joy, who is a 16-year-old from Oklahoma City, was driving to his girlfriend's work to give her a ride home after she finished her shift as a waitress at the Sirloin Stockade Steakhouse restaurant. Okay, so yeah, just gonna go pick her up from work. Yeah. Carlos arrived at the restaurant at about 10.15 p.m. He parked his car and he went into the restaurant to chat with his girlfriend, Terry Horst. She was busy helping the staff close up for the night and told him it wouldn't be much longer, so... He said he'd just get a Coke and wait for her in the car in the parking lot. Yeah. He got a Coke, sat in his car under a light pole there in the parking lot, and listened to the radio, and just kind of watched the restaurant workers going about their business on, you know, closing this Sunday night. Carlos looked on as two workers, David Salzman and David Lindsay, were, you know, dicking around with one another at... The restaurant's like a back doorway by the trash can as they were leaving. Yeah. But it caught his attention because as they were leaving, they acted as though they had been summoned back into the restaurant. Oh, like someone was saying their names or something like that? Yeah, so they both went in. Oh. And they rushed back inside. He didn't really think much of it. No. But probably just thinking like, oh, that sucks. They were literally leaving. Yeah, like they were literally leaving. Now they have to go back. So he went back to listening to the radio and watching the cars drive by on I-240. Yeah. At 10.30 p.m., so he's been waiting for about 15 minutes, whatever, the lights in the parking lot started turning off, and the only light source in the area was the inside of the sirloin stockade. Yeah. And... At this point, now it's been about 20 minutes and Terry hadn't come out. And so Carlos is like, I'm bored of shit. Like, I'm just gonna... Terry, where you at? Yeah, he's like, so I'm going to drive around the parking lot because I'm literally just sitting in my car right now. Yeah. So as he's driving around, he gets to the opposite side of the restaurant from where he was. And he sees this green Oldsmobile station wagon that's just kind of idling beside the dumpsters. Yeah. And when he had first gotten to the restaurant, like 20 minutes before... The car hadn't been there. And he looked. He didn't see anyone inside the station wagon. But he did notice that there were boxes, like, stacked in the rear. So, yeah, he sees these boxes in his car, in this new car. And he's like, hmm, that's weird. But, again, doesn't think anything of it. Yeah. He drives around to the front of the restaurant and figured he might as well, at this point, go into the restaurant. So he goes into the restaurant and he finds it empty and silent. Oh. There were lights on, and the door he'd used to come in was unlocked, but there was no one there. And but, he had just seen... Yeah, he had seen people you know, walk in. He knew Terry was still in there. He knew that both Davids had gone in. He yeah. saw them go in. And, I mean, it's a restaurant that's, you know, closing for the night. There's right. a good handful of staff that should be there closing. But it's just empty. And it's empty. Um, But he figured... Maybe they're just having a you know meeting. Manager called oh, them all to the back room. Oh, and they're just all in the back room. Yeah. And he's like, okay, maybe I don't need to be bothered. I mean, I know that's not the case because of you know yeah. what this is, but I'm hoping they're well, just team meeting. Carlos thinks that, but then he's also like, okay, but what if they're being robbed? Yeah. Because he's he's like, this doesn't feel right. Right. So he goes back into his car uh, and drove out into the parking lot, and he turned his car to face the restaurant. 
and he turned on his new CB radio that he had, you know, like the truckers have. Yeah. So he turns the speakers in his car at, to aim at the restaurant, and in his radio he said, this is the police, we have you surrounded. Oh my god. So, you know, he th- he's thinking if there are robbers there, that maybe they'd get scared and run away, but if there's not, then, oh, he's just playing a joke on the restaurant staff. But there weren't any responses coming from inside the restaurant. He waited, and nothing. Oh my god. So, now he's like, okay, what the fuck is going on? He pulls his car in for a third time, and this time when he passed where that green station wagon had been, it wasn't there. It was gone? It was gone. So he goes in through the unlocked door, walks up to the counter, and he again hollers for Terry. Still, everything's silent. Now Carlos is starting to panic. Yeah. Because he'd been watching the place the entire night. There had to be someone in this building. Right. Because he didn't... There was... Yeah. Yeah, he'd been there watching. There was no one there. He's noticed this car, and now it's gone. Like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Then the phone starts ringing in the back office, and it just rings and rings. No one picks it up. So he's like, okay, there's not anyone in the back office. Someone would have answered the phone. Yep. So he's terrified now. He's like, something bad has happened and something is fucking going on. Yeah. Clearly everything is pointing in the direction of something's fucking up. Yeah. So Carlos runs to the main doors of the restaurant in an attempt to go call for help. But on his way out the door, he runs into someone trying to get in. Oh. And again, Carlos is 16. He's a I kid. forgot he was so young. So he is scared shitless, thinking that the robbers or whoever is back. So he runs away from the doors and hides underneath one of the tables. Yeah. Then he hears the door unlock and open. And hears a man's voice. Hello, is anyone here? And it was a familiar voice. It was the manager of the restaurant, Michael Click. Yeah. So... Carlos jumps out from under the table. It's like, hey, Michael's like, are you the only one here? No one called in the receipts yet. Because he's the manager. He was waiting for them to call in the receipts and everything. Yeah. Closing up. And no one did. So that was was why Michael was like, I'm going to go to the restaurant and see what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Um, And Carlos tells him, he's like, you know, I think they might be in the back. I don't know. I can't find anyone. So Michael... Leaves Carlos in, like, the main area of the restaurant and walks into the back. Just a couple moments later, Michael comes back in, picks up the phone, and calls the police. (gasps) He tells Carlos, they're all in the freezer. Someone must have come in here and beat them up. And so, Michael is now on the phone with the police. Yeah. And he had just told Carlos they're in the freezer. So, Carlos is like, what? Carlos makes his way to the back of the restaurant where the freezer is, and he stepped in and stood in the doorway of the walk-in freezer and is just terrified at what he sees in front of him. Laying on the floor or slumped in between the stacks of cardboard boxes are six bodies, and under them are just pools of dark blood. (gasps) They hadn't been beaten. They've been shot. All six of them. Oh, my God. And I'm sure the blood is like congealing and shit yeah. in the freezer. So those that were killed were Isaac Freeman, who was 56, 
David Lindsay, who is 17, David Salzman, who is 16, Anthony Tu, who is 17, Louis Zacharias, who is 43, and Terry Horst, his girlfriend, who is 15. No. There's so many young people. The only person to make it to the hospital was his girlfriend, Terry, but (gasps) she died at the hospital. And this was a crime that was seen as Oklahoma's real first mass murder. Well, this is vicious. Yeah. Like, this is dark and twisted and super fucked up. This is like things you imagine Prohibition-era Chicago. Not Oklahoma City in the late 70s. Yeah. So that freaked out the residents of Oklahoma City. Because this like execution-style murder at this restaurant just happened. And the panic became even worse when authorities were able to link the gun that was used in the Sirloin Stockade murders to the murders of a North Dakota family in Purcell three weeks earlier on June 22nd of 1978. So that North Dakota family was Melvin Lorenz, his wife Linda, and their 12-year-old son Richard. They had left their home in Texas to drive up and attend the funeral of Melvin's mother. Yeah. Both Melvin and Linda were sergeants in the Air Force and stationed in San Antonio. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're driving north on I-35 past the Purcell exits, and they see a car that's on the side of the road disabled, and the hood's up, and there's just this one young woman sitting in the car alone. Yeah. So they're like, okay, we need to help them. This woman was Verna Stafford. She was not actually in trouble. Her husband, Roger Dale Stafford, and brother-in-law, Harold Stafford, were hiding just out of sight and waiting to ambush the first person who was fooled by this ruse. That they were going to help. Yeah. Yeah. So Melvin pulls the car over, stops, is ready to like offer assistance. Maybe it's changed tire, something. Yeah. And as he walks up to the car, Roger comes out of hiding and pulls a gun on Melvin and demands money. Melvin refused to hand over his wallet and this pissed roger off so roger pulled the trigger and just shot melvin right there in front of his wife and kid holy shit so linda uh melvin's wife like had gotten out of the car and was you know walked towards his help and seeing melvin just get shot in front of her spurred her to action and she ran back towards the car to her son Roger shot her before she could get to the car. Oh my god. So with the couple dead, the Staffords heard what they described as a little voice coming from the camper that was attached to the car. Yeah. And determined to leave no witnesses behind. No, no. Roger used a knife to cut a hole in the screen on the camper and shot through the opening, which killed their son. What the fuck? So the three then dumped Melvin and Linda's bodies in a field and then tossed Richard's body into a separate field. And they then went on their day, stopped at a restaurant for something to eat, and later abandoned the Lorenz's pickup at Will Rogers Airport in Oklahoma City yeah. and drove back to Tulsa. They had only stolen about 600 bucks from their victims. And they killed three people to steal yeah. 600 bucks. 
Yeah. So that had happened. And then three weeks later, the Sirloin Stockade Massacre happens. Yeah. And police have linked the gun. They know the same person did both of these. Yeah. So now that's nine murders in the span of three weeks attributed to the same person or group of people. Yeah. And they have no idea who the hell it is. People are fucking freaking out. They just know the bullets match and the guns match. Yeah. Oh my god. So, jumping forward three weeks from the murder of the Lorenz family to the day of the Sirloin Stockade Massacre, Roger Stafford, his brother Harold, and his wife Verna are all driving in his green station wagon from Tulsa to Oklahoma City. Yep, green station wagon. Mm -hmm. The traffic wasn't too bad, and they're having just a nice, sunny, summer, Sunday afternoon drive. And Rogers is drinking a nice cup of rum, Verna's sipping on a rum and coke, and Harold's drinking beers while they pass time on the two-hour-long drive. Yeah, drinking beers in the car, back in the day. Yeah, beer and rum. Ugh. The, so the three adults, all of them... Oh, yeah, them, and rum. I like to mention the beer, and there's also hard liquor. Yeah. So all three of them are in their early 20s, and they're driving halfway across Oklahoma in search of a way to get out of their desperate financial troubles. The solution, they decided, to escape their poverty and to get back on the road and out of Oklahoma was simple. They were just going to hold up a restaurant, take all the money, and leave. I a restaurant. I wonder how people pick the places they're going to rob. Like, it's no like, idea. how do you decide you're going to rob a restaurant or a gas station or a grocery store? Yeah. And is it is it one of those, I want to get as much as I can, or I need to get at least $1,000? I imagine they probably picked the Sirloin Stockade because it is a steakhouse. Yeah, no, they're, this is they the should 70s, have... so most people are using cash. Oh. I mean... Fair. I assume. I know people have had cards for, like, since the twenties or thirties. Um, really, that's mm-hmm. when they decided to fuck us over with cards. I know, bitches. But uh, so I imagine there's this is probably a higher priced restaurant. There's probably a lot of cash. Yeah. There. I'm assuming that's why they target it. I have no idea. Yeah. So each of the three adults had a pistol on them in order to intimidate the vi- victims. And if needed, to take care of any loose ends that might come about. Right. The three of them arrive in Oklahoma City between 6 and 6.30 that evening on July 16th of 1978. They stop at a convenience store to get some more Coke, beer, and cigarettes before driving to a park to prepare their mission. After parking the car, refreshing their drinks, the guns are passed around. Roger took the Colt 357 Magnum. Harold grabbed a Taurus 38 caliber revolver that had been stolen from a pawn shop there in Purcell. Yeah. And Verna grabbed the automatic 22 caliber Lugar pistol that had been stolen from the Lorenz family. Oh. Ammunition. Really connecting them to that. Yeah. Ammunition's distributed and. The three got back in the station wagon and resumed their journey to the restaurant. They parked the station wagon a little bit away from the restaurant and watched the last of the customers walk out of the building, get in their cars, drive home. Just waiting for all the customers to be gone everything. Yeah. The sun set and the lights of the parking lot had flicked on 
and they waited until the manager walked over and locked the doors. Yep. Roger and Harold pulled out their guns, and Verna's behind them, carrying hers in her waistband, and they go to the door. Roger knocks. About a minute later, this middle-aged Hispanic guy comes up to the door, and it's just like, we're closed. This is Luis Zacharias. And he's like, go go home. Like, we're closed. The restaurant's closed. Yeah. Roger then tapped on the glass window with the muzzle of his gun. Yeah. And Zacharias unlocks the door and lets them in. He's like, I don't want to get shot. Of course. Yeah, I, I get that. The three of them told him to take them to the cash registers and to bring in all of the employees. So he does. Oh, so that's when the people who were outside, they were like, come inside, come inside. That is when this is happening. Oh my God. So he led them to the registers, brought in all the employees, and the registers were opened, but they'd already been emptied out for the night. So Roger is pissed. He snaps the manager, like, where the fuck is the money? And Zachariah's like, "I, I, I I don't know, because he's a gun pointed at him. And so Verna interjects and is like, oh, sometimes restaurants take the cash out and put it in the safe after they close and keep it in there until they take it to the bank. Yeah. Roger's like, okay, then take me to the fucking safe. So Luis leads him to the back office. Verna and Harold are keeping watch over the five staff members that are now together in -hmm. the restaurant. And assuring them that they're not going to be hurt as long as they followed along. This is just a robbery. Shit, that's such a lie. I think at this point... It wasn't? I think at this point, the plan is not... To kill everyone? Yeah. So Verna heard a loud crash and then some shouting from the back office. And then saw Roger and Luis come out. And Roger is carrying a big bag of money and he hands it to Verna. Luis Zacharias is pissed at... Just this fact that he's being robbed at his restaurant. Yeah. He's telling them, he's like, how could you people take money from hardworking people like us? I cannot believe people like you taking money that's not yours and spending it without a thought. So he's just like reaming them. He just lets loose and... He's like, all you're going to get caught and you're not going to get away with this. I am so sick of people like you. And this pisses off Roger even more. Well, of course. I I really am like, dude, you should have not done that. So Roger told everyone to get into the walk-in freezer and sit on the ground. So Roger's like in a full-blown rage right now. Yeah. And he pulls his gun out, points at the manager's face, and he says, they're all going to get what they deserve. Don't be a chicken shit and a coward. He says that to Harold. So Harold turns around, raises his gun uh, to the other people in the freezer. Roger pulls the trigger and shoots the janitor, Isaac Freeman, in the restaurant. Just random guy just shoots him. Roger pulls the trigger again and killed the manager, Luis Zacharias. And then Harold just starts firing at all the people there in the freezer. Oh my god. Uh, so they're like shooting everyone in the freezer, backing out of it and just spraying it with bullets. Yeah, and it's not like anyone in the freezer can actually get out and save themselves or go anywhere. Like no. they're just super fucked. Yeah. Like, this sucks. So Verna at this point went into shock. The loud blast from the guns and the screams of 
the victims were too much for her. She tried to walk away from the cooler when Roger came up to her and grabbed her arm. He said, now it's time for you to be a part of us. And he puts his gun in her hand. And she's like trying to resist. She's like, fuck, no, this is not what I signed up for. No, this is not what I said I'd do. But he pulls her into the doorway of the freezer and stood her in front of the victims who are on the ground with the gun in her hand. He puts his finger over, or his hand over hers, and his finger over hers on the trigger. It squeezes. So he basically makes her shoot the victims. Oh my god. And this is after he's already sprayed them with bullets? Mm Mm-hmm. So then Roger starts, like, going through people's pockets, and Verna rushes out of the restaurant through the back door. She's, like, fucking freaking out. She just was part of a mass murder. Yeah. She's, like, just trying to get to the car. Once she gets in it, she's, like, having her panic moment. She gets in the car. Of of course. And Roger and Harold are in the front seat. So Roger puts the car into gear, and they drive off, leaving all the victims there in the freezer. This is so gruesome and intense. Yeah. So Harold Stafford, who is Roger's brother, died in a motorcycle accident in Tulsa, one week after the Sirloin Stockade murders. Oh. Yeah. So he was part of it, shot them. And then and he, died. And he, he died a week later. Roger Stafford caused his own demise when he made a drunken phone call to the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation on January 3rd of 1979. So about six months after. Yeah. The day before, the OSBI had released some composite sketches of three people who were wanted for questioning in all nine of these murders. The stockade and the family outside Purcell. Yeah. And Roger, who at this point, Verna had left him. She was like, no, I'm out. I'm not part of this. After he made her do what he did, mm-hmm. I get it. So he identified himself to the OSBI as a trucker and said that he recognized two of the people in the sketch as Harold and Verna Stafford. So he knows Harold's dead, and he's pissed at Verna for leaving him, so he calls in the OSBI so and is like, ah, that's who these people are. Oh my god. So police trace a woman who went to see Harold's body at his, at his funeral in Chicago, Illinois, and after finding her, tracing her, they arrested Verna Stafford. Yep. Three days later... Roger was captured in a YMCA lobby in Chicago and also arrested. I'm glad they got him. Yeah. Because he fucking ran out Vernon. She's like, oh, hell no. No, she's like. I'm ratting him the fuck out She's like, hell no. By the way, I used to be with this guy and here's who he is. And he was the ringleader. Yeah. So Roger Dale Stafford received death sentences for all of his murders. But he predicted the sentences would never be carried out. He was sentenced to death for the Lorenz family murders and for the Sirloin Stockade killings yeah. and was executed by lethal injection on July 2nd of 1995. Because it was the f- end of the 70s, dude. Yeah. Like, you do shit like this, you're getting the death sentence. Yeah. Like, that just is, that's what they did. Mm-hmm. Also, it's nine murders. Yeah. 
So on March... Not that I think that he should have gotten it. it no. Just, I don't... With the way the world was, it was very much set up to be like, yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah. So on March 13th of 1980, Verna Stafford was convicted on two counts of second degree murder and sentenced to life plus 999 years. Oh my God. For two accounts? Mm-hmm. And she is incarcerated at the Mabel Bassett Correctional Center in McLeod, Oklahoma. How long? How old is she now? Uh, she was in her twenties. In the seventies. In the late seventies, so oh my God. that was so she's fifty like years ago. Her, yeah, she's no in her 70s. forty years ago. She's in her sixties, yeah. seventies now. Yeah. Um, she Jeez. tried to appeal her sentence in nineteen eighty nine, and at a hearing then. The Oklahoma County District Judge, Richard V. Freeman, told her, I would wager that there's one of the hottest corners of hell vacant with your name right above it and they're waiting for you. Jesus. Yeah. So she's in prison. Roger's been executed and Harold died in a motorcycle accident. Oh my God. This is so dark. Is the um, Sirloin Steakhouse still open? It's not, but there are two other locations in Oklahoma that are still open. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I get it. I'm glad this one's no longer open. Yeah. Just think about that. Bodies in the freezer with all the food. I mean, fair. So, I'm not sure what the restaurant or that building is now. Uh, Yeah. I looked at a map, and it's either a Carl's Jr., a Denny's, or a Hooters, just because that's what's around there. All yeah. still, still a restaurant. Yeah. Which I guess if it's an area that's set up with the kitchens and all of it, of course it's going to well, be a restaurant, but... It's where Penn meets I-240. So it's a... I mean, it's a busy intersection. It's a, it's a transit area, for sure. Yeah. But, yeah. So that is my case of the Sirloin Stockade Massacre. How did I live in Oklahoma for 20 years and never hear of this? Same. Because this is so intense and like, wow, we both had cases with twists and turns that were not what you would expect. Yeah. Wow. Um, Postmortem? Postmortem. You go first. Um, Interestingly, there were a lot of similarities in both our cases. Both of them had, I mean, a robbery at a restaurant where all the victims were rounded up and shot execution style. Oh, yeah. Mine in the freezer, yours in a field, but... That is true. Um, I... This always creeps me out when we pick such I know. similar cases. And it's and like... Because this one wasn't even like, oh, it's similar because that kind of goes into the topic. Restaurant no. was the topic. Restaurant, Like, which, it, it could have been many different... It could have been someone who was murdered at a restaurant, like a guest that murdered someone, just like budging and bursting in the door mm-hmm. or maybe um we could have done like a bombing in a coffee shop or something or we could have done the waiter waitress goes rogue and kills really shit customer i i don't know i don't know but no i will say i think um i think mine was the more intense of the cases i totally agree because not only was it these six people who were rounded up and executed, it was also a family on the way to a funeral that was murdered. And Which just, is so dark and fucked up. Yeah. And just the hubris of this guy being pissed at his girlfriend and being like, I'm going to fucking turn her in. 
what? Or I guess his ex-wife, not his girlfriend. But but still. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's stupid. Um, But, I mean, while mine was, I don't know, really fucked up, really twisted, and to be honest, like I said, I don't feel it's resolved. Yeah. Um, Yours just, wow. And I also just keep thinking about Carlos literally going there to pick up his girlfriend. And she is being murdered inside. Like, seeing her, chatting with her, whatever. Okay, I'll wait in the car. And then she's getting murdered inside while he's, like, sitting in the car. And then him having to see that. And he's 16. poor guy. I know. I know. But, yeah. So, yes, uh, this goes to you. Okay, well, I will pick the wine next time. Um, And I will finally pick the topic. Okay. So, um, well... Guys, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Mm -hmm. Let us know what you're thinking. Um, And, yeah. Make sure to like and follow us on social media. That way you'll get fun insights into the podcast. You'll get, I don't know, So you'll you'll get to see more of us. But, yeah. um, Well, this is interesting. And we still have a couple of episodes to record before I move to Dallas. Yes, we do. So it'll be interesting to see, um, I don't know, what we talk about when we're no yeah. longer in the same room. I know. It'll and... probably be more of just like us, I don't know, actually updating each other on live. Uh, probably. And also, you know, uh, we will always know that the wine is being split equally because we will have our own bottle. That is true. That is very <laughs> true. So um, with that, thank you guys for listening. Yes. Thank you so much. This is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, Bye. you guys. Bye. Bye.